Episode 18. Greetings and welcome in to the Patuxet General, your place for all things Patuxetish. This week's recipe is Bob's Vegan Vegetable Soup. Our drink is the Lequado Azteca, and our House on the Corner series continues this week with a reading of the case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. We have some very exciting news this week, but first, we have to thank our Patreon subscribers. These fabulous people have made it so that we can now expand, so thank you! And if you would like to become part of this wonderful clan, go to patreon.com and go to the Patuxa General page. It's easy to do, and the extra content you receive is really worth it. Recipes, photos, and extra Easter eggs from the show? There is also a link in the show notes, just to make it easier. Now, on to the news. There is a new way to enjoy the podcast, on YouTube, with a background of an actual recorded Patuxet sunrise, captioned for the hearing impaired. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. Please also comment if you can. We love feedback. Starting this spring, you can arrange to have me come and do food demonstrations of our recipes at your function. Then you can taste them my way and have any questions about the recipe or the podcast answered in person. For booking, our contact is jess at patuxageneral.com. I can't wait to see you all in person. Right, so let's get this ball rolling. First up, the Laquado Azteca. In the early 90s, I worked a lot and had a baby at the time as well. Basically, I never slept. To keep up my energy and stay as healthy as possible, I drank one of these every day. If I was sick, a pitcher could cure what ailed me. Spirulina powder is used in this recipe. It is an algae powder, high in protein, and was originally used by the Aztec peoples for endurance. After the Spanish invasion, the lakes were drained and spirulina consumption died out in the area. However, in the 1960s, an owner of some of the property that was formerly part of Lake Texcoco, after contacting researchers, it was determined to be the original regional spirulina. Now, Spirulina Viva is in the same spot growing the traditional spirulina since 2010. If you have tried other spirulinas and found them fishy, it was probably a lesser quality product that uses ground fish bones to feed the algae the phosphorus it needs to grow. Spirulina Viva sells fresh spirulina as well as various foods made from the algae. Check them out at aspirulinaviva.org slash English. I would also like to thank the BBC for valuable information. Which brings us back to this power smoothie. So good you'll have pep in your step. For this drink, you will need a blender and a citrus juicer. This is for one smoothie. Double it for a pitcher. You will also need one banana, one apple cord, three oranges, one lemon, four strawberries, one handful of blueberries, and a heaping teaspoon of high-quality powdered spirulina. Juice your oranges and lemon, add to the banana, apple, whole strawberries, and blueberries that are already in the blender. Then add your spirulina, blend until smooth, and that's best served in a tall, chilled glass. Look, I do understand that this is a green drink, but I swear to you, it is sweet and yummy. May it serve you on your life marathons, just like the Aztecs. Enjoy! Today's recipe is Bob's Vegan Vegetable Soup. 
This is a story about Bob Letty. This man was a brilliant writer, person, and dresser. He always had a matching hat. This was his favorite soup, and when he passed, I named it after him. I'm proud to tell the story of Bob's vegan vegetable soup. He came in the Little Falls Cafe for lunch every single day. He always asked about the soups and had them most of the time. When he got his favorite soups, he would always bring the empty bowl back into the kitchen and say, I hated it. I want my money back. We would laugh, and I would write it on the list of soups Bob likes. For this, you will need celery, two onions, four ribs of celery, three carrots, four potatoes, small cube the size of the carrot slices, garlic, tomato puree, saute all the vegetables in olive oil until slightly softened and brightened. Then add tomato puree and soup stock, Italian seasoning, salt and pepper, and simmer until the vegetables are tender. Shut off the heat and add the alphabet pasta immediately. Wait 10 minutes and then serve. A crowd pleaser and it drives kids mad. Enjoy! I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball and pinball and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. The Case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. Chapter 3, Section 1. A Search and an Evocation. Charles Ward, as we have seen, first learned in 1918 of his descent from Joseph Kerwin, that he took an intense interest in everything pertaining to a bygone mystery is not to be wondered at, for every vague rumor that he had heard of Kerwin now became something vital to himself, in whom flowed Kerwin's blood. No spirited and imaginative genealogist could have done otherwise than begin forthwith an avid and systematic collection of Kerwin data. In his first delvings, there was not the slightest attempt at secrecy, so that even Dr. Lyman hesitates to date the youth's madness from any period before the close of 1919. He talked freely with his family, though his mother was not particularly pleased to own an ancestor like Kerwin, and with the officials of various museums and libraries he visited. In applying to private families for records thought to be in their possession, he made no concealment of his object and shared the somewhat amused skepticism with the amounts of old diarists and letter writers were regarded. He often expressed a keen wonder as to what really had taken place a century and a half before at the Patuxet farmhouse, whose site he had vainly tried to find, and what Joseph Kerwin really had been. When he came across the Smith Diary and archives and encountered the letter from Jedediah Orne, he decided to visit Salem and look up Kerwin's early activities and connections there, at the Essex Institute, which was well known to him from former sojourns in the glamorous old town of crumbling Puritan gables and clustered gambrel roofs. He was kindly received and unearthed there a considerable amount of Kerwin data. He found that his ancestor was born in Salem Village, now Danvers, seven miles from the town on the 18th of February, 1662-3. to 3. 
and that he had run away to sea at age 15, not appearing again for nine years, when he returned with the speech, dress, and manners of a native Englishman and settled into Salem proper. At that time, he had little to do with his family, but spent most of the hours with the curious books he had brought from Europe, the strange chemicals which came for him on ships from England, France, and Holland. Certain trips of his to the country were the objects of much local inquisitiveness and were whisperingly associated with vague rumors of fires on the hills at night. Kerwin's only close friends had been one Edward Hutchinson of Salem Village and one Simon Orne of Salem. With these men, he was often seen in conference about the common. His visits among them were by no means infrequent. Hutchinson had a house well out in the woods and was not altogether liked by sensitive people because of the sounds heard there at night. He was said to entertain strange visitors, and the lights seen from his windows were not always of the same color. The knowledge he displayed concerning long-dead persons and long-forgotten events was considered distinctly unwholesome, and he disappeared about the time the witchcraft panic began, never to be heard from again. At that time, Joseph Kerwin also departed, but his settlement in Providence was soon learned of. Simon Orne lived in Salem until 1720, when his failure to grow visibly old began to excite attention. Thereafter, disappeared, though 30 years later, his precise counterpart and self-styled son turned up to claim his property, and Jedediah Orne continued to dwell in Salem until 1771, when certain letters from Providence citizens to the Reverend Thomas Barnard and others brought about his quiet removal to parts unknown. Certain documents by and about all these strange creatures were available at the Essex Institute, the Courthouse, and the Registry of Deeds, and included both harmless commonplaces such as land titles and bills of sale, and furtive fragments of more provocative nature. There are four or five unmistakable allusions to them on the witchcraft trial records, as when one Hepzibah Lawson swore on July 10th, 1692, at the court of Oyer and Terminer under Judge Hathorne, that forty witches were wont to meet in the woods behind Mr. Hutchinson's house. And one Emity Howe declared at a session on August 8th before Judge Jedry that Mr. G.B., Reverend George Burroughs, on that night put his devil mark upon Bridget S., Jonathan A., Simon O., Deliverance W., Joseph C., Susan P., Amicable C., and Deborah B., then, there was a catalogue of Hutchinson's uncanny library, as found after his disappearance, and an unfinished manuscript in his own handwriting, couched in a cipher none can read. Ward had a photostatic copy of this manuscript made, and began to work casually on the cipher as soon as it was delivered to him. After the following August, his labors on the cipher became intense and feverish, and there was reason to believe from his speech and conduct that he had hit upon the key before October or November. He never stated, though, whether or not he had succeeded. But of greatest immediate interest was the Orne material. It took Ward only a short time to prove from identity of penmanship a thing he had already considered established from the text of the letter to Kerwin, namely, that Simon Orne and his supposed son were one in the same person. 
As Orne had said to his correspondent, it was hardly safe to live too long in Salem, hence he resorted to a 30-year sojourn abroad and did not return to claim his lands except as a representative of a new generation. Orne had apparently been careful to destroy most of his correspondence, but the citizens who took action in 1771 found and preserved a few letters and papers which excited their wonder. There were cryptic formulae and diagrams in his and other hands which Ward now either copied with care or had photographed, and one extremely mysterious letter in a chirography of the searcher recognized from items in the registry of deeds as positively Joseph Kerwin's. This Kerwin letter, though undated as to the year, was evidently not the one in which Orne had written and confiscated missive. And from the internal evidence, Ward placed it not much later than 1750. It may not be amiss to give the text in full as a sample of the style of one whose history was so dark and terrible. The recipient is addressed as Simon, but a line, whether drawn by Kerwin or Orne, Ward could not tell, is run through the word. Providence, one may. Brother, my honored ancient friend, do respects and earnest wishes to him whom we all serve for your eternal power. I have just come upon that which you ought to know concerning the matter of the last extreme. I am not disposed to follow you and go away on account of my years, for providence hath not ye sharpness of ye bay in hunting out uncommon things and bringing to trial. I'm tied up in ships and goods, and could not do as you do, besides the which my farm in Patuxet hath under what you know, and would not wait for my coming back as an other. But I am not unready for hard fortunes, as I have told you, and have longed work upon my way of getting back to ye last. I last night struck on the words that bring up Yagsulf, and saw for the first time the face spoke of by Ibn Sakbao. And it said, In ye third psalm, in ye Liber Dominus, holds the cortical, with the sun in V-house, Saturn in trine, draws the pentagram of fire, and say ye ninth verse thrice. This verse repeat each Rodmas and Hala's Eve, and ye thing will breed in ye outside spheres. And of ye seed and old shall one be born, who shall look back, and knowing not what he seeks. Yet this will avail nothing if there be no air, or if the salts, or the way to make salts, be not ready for his hand. And here I will own, I have not taken needed steps, nor found much. He processes plaguy hard to come near, and uses up such a store of specimens I am hard put to get enough. Notwithstanding the sailors I have coming from the Indies, you people are about to become curious, but I can stand them off. Ye gentry are worse than the populace, being more circumstantial in their acts, and more believed in what they tell. That Parson and Mr. Merritt have talked some, I am fearful, but no thing so far is dangerous. Ye chemical substances are easier to get, there being two good chemists in town, Dr. Bowen and Sam Karu. I have fallen out with Borellis safe, and had help in Abdul Alhaz read his seventh book. Whatever I get, you shall have. And in the meanwhile, do not neglect to make your use of the words I have given. I heard them write, but if you desire to see him, employ the writings on your piece of... that I am putting in this packet. Say your verses every rude moss and hollow's eve, and if your line runs out... One shall be in years to come that shall look back and use what salts or stuff for salts you shall leave them. Job 14.14 14. I rejoice you are again in Salem, and hope that I may see you long hence. 
I have a good stallion, and am thinking of getting a coach. There be one, Mr. Merritt's, in Providence already, though the roads are bad. If you are disposed to travel, do not pass me by. From Boston, take ye post road through Denham, Rentham, Attleboro. Good taverns being in all these towns. Stop at Mr. Bolcombe's in Rentham, where ye beds are finer than Mr. Hatch's. But eat at your other house, for their cook is better. Turn into Providence by Pawtucket Falls, and you rode past Mr. Sale's Tavern, my house, opposite Mr. Epenitus Olney's Tavern off Town Street, first on the north side of Olney's Court. Distance from Boston Stone about 150 miles. Sir, I am your old and true friend and servant in Almansin Metration, Josephus C., sent to Mr. Simon Orne, Williams Lane, in Salem. This letter, oddly enough, was what first gave Ward the exact location of Kerwin's Providence home, and none of the records encountered up till that time had been at all specific. The discovery was doubly striking, because it indicated as the newer Kerwin house was built in 1761 on the site of the old, a dilapidated building still standing in only court, was known to Ward in his antiquarian rambles over Stampers Hill. The place was indeed only a few squares from his own home on the Great Hill's higher ground, and was now the abode of a family much esteemed for occasional washing, house cleaning, and furnace tending services. To find in distant Salem such sudden proof of the the significance of his family rookery in his own family history was a highly impressive thing to Ward, and he resolved to explore the place immediately upon his return. The more mystical phases of the letter, which he took to be some extravagant kind of symbolism, frankly baffled him, though he noted with a thrill of curiosity that the biblical passage referred to, Job 14.14, 14, was the familiar verse, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time I will wait till my change come. That concludes this episode of the PG. We would like to thank you for joining us. And if you would like to reach us with a question, comment, booking, advertising, or ghost story, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. Thank you again, and please meet us back here next time at the Patuxet General. A Something for Posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxet. <laughs>